G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Uh, Gordon Priest, welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's good to, good to be here. I should, I should add, actually, that I just started a new, a new job. Sorry, I don't want to add to that mouthful, but um, I, um, I'm now um, at a Centre for uh, Research at the University of Divinity in, in Melbourne for uh, Religion and Social Policy. So this issue kind of illustrates um, that kind of intermingling of religion and social policy as we uh, experience it today. So I just thought I'd better add that. That's right. I mean, there's a long list of uh, your qualifications uh, to talk on a whole lot of different uh, levels on uh, different ethical issues that the nation might be facing. But an interesting one today is we get a focus in on dying. And uh, I know you won't mind me just uh, sharing that uh, you're quite open today to talk about your own feelings, having lost your own father just recently. Uh, just to share with us uh, what's happened in these past few weeks in your own family. Thanks. Um, well, it, it, it's interesting that uh, you, you know, you can be sort of at a point of acceptance in that, but suddenly something will hit you. So I was on an international phone call the other um, night and it suddenly struck me. We were asked to say what was the high of our year and what was the low. So my, my low was, was um, connected with my dad's death. And I said, because um, I was looking at the time, it was, it was 4 a.m. And I said, uh, he died exactly uh, two weeks ago today. Uh, well, it was three weeks. Three weeks ago to, uh, at this exact time. So it really kind of struck me um, that that was when I got the call uh, from the nursing home. And so sometimes things creep up on you uh, like that. And uh, that's, um, I wasn't able to get up to Sydney today, um, being based in Melbourne, but Dad's um, ashes were at, at 10 this morning. They were, they were being um, scattered um, next to my uh, elder brother, who died a year to the day before I was born. He was only six weeks old, and I can... Um, and, and his name was uh, Guy William Priest, and uh, my dad was William or Bill. And so there's things like that that uh, that, that keep coming back. But um, Dad had whole systems uh, Parkinson's, which is very debilitating because as someone who was a businessman, very extroverted, and and uh, uh, got on well with with people, um, always willing to speak and and had a view on on most things. And towards the oh, probably the last year at least. Um, maybe two of his life it was very hard for him to speak because the Parkinson's had, had made that very difficult uh, for him. And I think most of my conversations on the phone to him were, you know, basically just get yes, yes kind of whispered sort of responses because it was very, very hard for him. And yet he never, he never requested to be sort of put out of his misery or anything like that. Um, he was kept relatively comfortable 
and looked after marvellously by a Catholic nursing home, which is only 400 metres from um, where he lived with my, my stepmother. And so that was just such a great gift from God because those people really loved him. They were fantastic um, uh, to him. And uh, every time I'd, I'd go up to visit him, I, I, I never said no to any, any trips to Sydney or, or speaking things because I, I got the chance to go up and see Dad. I'd go down and, uh, and see Dad. And often when he was sleeping, they would have on the tape that I'd gotten from um, a Uniting Church group um, made up of requests of favourite hymns and scriptures, etc. And so I got that from um, Christmas about 18 months ago. And and they'd be playing that to him while he was asleep, while he was unconscious. That probably would have been playing for him because that was a usual practice probably um, when he died. And... So I've sometimes said to people, and I don't want to be simplistic about it, there's lots of arguments about, say, euthanasia and that, but that the kind of Christian care shown at, at this wonderful nursing home at Stella Maris um, if, is, for me, one of the strongest kind of arguments against euthanasia. If we can enable people to still, despite the shadow of death, to have a sense of God's presence and to have a sense of... Uh, love and care. Um, like one time they put on um, Sound of Music. They, they would always have different things going, uh, but there's one time in particular when uh, I sat with him and uh, it wasn't just the nuns and others putting it on, even though they kind of directed it, but the patients were involved. And so they they got dressed up and they had black garbage bags on their heads like habits and they had the time of their lives, and it was just wonderful. So their, their philosophy was very much to help people you know, really live and, until they die, and I think they really put it into practice. All honour to those wonderful people who work in aged care, in the nursing home environments around Australia. And while some people might have some, uh, some dreadful stories to tell, uh, there's a lot of wonderful stories to tell about how our elderly are taken great care of. And uh, interestingly, when we, you've already talked about this sort of issue of euthanasia and, uh, and for a number of states, I know that South Australia is dealing with bills at the moment, uh, push for euthanasia in South Australia. And uh, there's possibility that in Victoria, in your state, Gordon, uh, that uh, there may be some bills being introduced uh, in the near future, uh, this push for euthanasia. And uh, interesting when you reflect on your own father and you use the words, uh, he didn't want to be put out of his misery. Uh, I mean, this is uh, it's the, the sort of words that, uh, that sometimes we use in our vernacular that describe uh, the way that we think that people might be feeling in their older years. But uh, but this idea of euthanasia is is completely against a Christian ethic on dying, isn't it? Yeah, I think the the basic problem um, with the philosophy about voluntary euthanasia is that it it uh, it absolutizes autonomy. Now, autonomy just means if you break it, the two parts up: um, auto or self, and nomos or law. So it's basically we're a law to our to ourselves. And so people don't, um, don't want anything that is not their own choice. And yet in life, there are all sorts of things. The very fact of being born is not our own choice. We didn't choose that. You know, our parents chose that for us. Um, 
and ultimately, I think, God. And so we, and there are many, many things that uh, we don't we don't choose in life. Lots of stuff just happens to us, and we learn how to cope with that. And so I think it's a very modern, very consumerist kind of idea that absolutizes choice or our own will. And the problem is, once you absolutize our our self-will, our own choice, there's no place where you can actually put a break on it. So the slippery slope, as people call it, the dangers that you will increase um, euthanasia for more and more categories of people, not just the terminally ill um, in, you know, in very difficult circumstances, uh, because there are some really bad cases. I don't want to deny that. But you'll have it like in Belgium and in the Netherlands where it's increasingly um, available for people for all sorts of reasons, for all different ages, teenagers, children, and even now in the, in the Netherlands, they're bringing in something for terminal, terminal boredom. Now, imagine if, um, if, if, if we can bring in voluntary euthanasia for terminal boredom, you know, um, heaven help our kids or our adolescents, or I was going to say at our synod recently, heaven help us, because it was a relatively, it was a relatively boring synod, you know, stuff that had to be done. But, you know, um, a, lot of it, a lot of it was fairly boring. Um, there's lots of parts of life that are boring. Um, there was, there's a story that I heard once about a conference that I think was in Brisbane on euthanasia. It was about a decade ago. But it was quite interesting because uh, one of the practitioners, um, it was about palliative care, but also euthanasia, and one of the people asked an advocate of euthanasia to, to state a case that they felt really justified uh, voluntary euthanasia. And this person said that they knew someone who was a diplomat's wife and she had had this wonderful life, but now she was really lonely and, and really bored. And so um, he justified voluntary euthanasia on that basis. And the person who asked the quest question um, then said to them, oh, did you ever, did you ever think about uh, giving them a cat? And they said, oh, no, didn't think about that. Um, <laughs> that might have been a good idea. They might have, you know, because I actually know some Catholic nursing homes and places of palliative care where they actually have, you know, dogs or cats, presumably, you know, not terribly wild sort of ones, but domesticated ones, and that, you know, all people can bring their own, own ones along. And it just highlighted the kind of lack of imagination in relationship to care for people and the way this can easily become the easy way out, particularly, I think, in a society where we have pressure on healthcare budgets. And, and, and what we get is this kind of um, end up treating people as a means to an end and of, of balancing the health budget. And I think that it has enormous dangers in the kind of economy that we have these days that uh, people will be just treated as means to an end. And there's nothing dignified in that kind of death. Gordon, let's talk about the ways that typical Aussies might be thinking about dying. Do you think that there is a change in the way that Australians think about dying. I imagine that whenever you get uh, bills that are brought before state parliaments, uh, like the ones we were mentioning uh, that are happening in South Australia and the potential for those things coming to Victoria, uh, they make the headlines. People are thinking about it more and more and attitudes 
uh, are at risk of changing. What are your thoughts on uh, the typical way that Australians think about dying? Well, I think we've got to look at it um, partly historically. So if you go back to the Victorian age, the people there, they didn't talk much about sex, but they were very open about death and dying, and people would gather their loved ones and they would say farewell, and there would be a period of mourning. People would sometimes wear black for that period, and it was a public kind of event that you... Uh, yes, there were the intimate relationships, relations that were gathered around the, the deathbed, etc. But you knew when someone was a widow, for instance. Um, I still like the kind of Italian and Greek custom where widows wear black for a certain period of time. People know that they've had a loss. It's a public thing that can be acknowledged. Whereas we tend to just do it, deal with it by ourselves. And I think that's one of the great problems that, that leads to the pressure towards euthanasia, that we both... Um, in many ways, leave patients to themselves often, um, or we or we take them out of their home. I, I think we should try as far as possible to ensure you know home deaths if we can. Um, but we also uh, very much kind of leave those who are mourning uh, to themselves, or, or we just say, oh, get get over it or move on. You know, the phrase "moving on" is it really tends to rush grief. And it's, it's like we want to forget about it as quickly as possible because it reminds us of our own mortality. So therefore, we don't particularly want to spend time with those who might be mourning. And, uh, we, and we also don't particularly want to spend much time with those who are dying because it reminds us of our own death. So I think there's a great fear of, of death and denial of death. There's a wonderful book called The Denial of Death by Becker, B-E-C-K-E-R, that uh, taps into some of that. And I think, I think that's very much the attitude in, in most modern societies, in, including Australia. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking about dying this hour. Gordon Priest is our guest, Director of Ethos, the Centre for Christianity and Society. There is a website for Ethos. It's ethos.org.au. Gordon, as we're talking about dying, and I mentioned just before the break, as Christian believers, we need to have a more robust ability to be able to defend our position on dying, to be able to explain to people what happens in the process of dying, what happens when you die, what happens after you die. Is there a, a definitive way of Christians talking about dying? Right. Well, I, I think there is a, a central core. Like, there, there are aspects that um, may be a little bit more speculative, but I think biblically there is a very solid core about the resurrection of the dead. And it's interesting, um, I preached yesterday on the reading from Matthew 20, uh, verse 27 through to 40, on Jesus encountering the Sadducees. And the, the Sadducees were a kind of elitist, very rationalist, kind of almost modern group in some ways, who only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the, the law or the, or the Torah. And uh, there's not much really about um, life after death in those, in, in those books. You're, you're right at the very beginning of biblical faith. Um, you, you only start to get more hints, uh, like in the Valley of the Dry Bones passage in Ezekiel 37, and uh, then in Daniel, where you start to get a bit more of an idea of 
possible individual uh, resurrection. And so what they believed was that you basically lived on in your, in your children. And they, they come up with this story about what's called Leverite marriage and um, ask about this, this woman who ends up um, uh, not having any male children, um, or any children it seemed, but it was a male who was the heir, and has seven husbands who try and fulfil Leverite marriage. Now, that, that is a practice where you, uh, if the husband dies and he doesn't have any heirs to help him his name go on, and to live in the promised land, then the um, his brother is meant to step in and uh, and provide children in in his name. Uh, but what happens in in this story? It's it's kind of a bit like a sort of a black widow, almost um, black widow magic in some ways. Um, is is cursed in a way, or at least ends up cursing the husbands. And so what they say in the end is to Jesus to try and trick him up. They try and say, well, whose husband is she in the resurrection? Who does she belong to? And, and Jesus basically undercuts them because he says, um, he, he really picks them up on a, on a couple of points, but he's saying to them, well, you don't, you don't realize that uh, the afterlife isn't exactly the same as this life. This life is transformed it's it's different and you don't need uh, marriage people are neither married or given in marriage so there's not the institution of marriage uh, because um, one of the main purposes of marriage is procreation uh, if people aren't dying if they're like the angels etc uh, then they they don't um, they don't need to be married so that their question is is moot it doesn't really count um, the second thing he says is that he goes, again, he argues on their grounds and he goes back to the books of Moses, which they hold to be authoritative, and he goes back to a really core passage, the passage about the burning bush in Exodus 3.6. And he says, he quotes uh, the passage there where it says that God is, and the emphasis on is, not was, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of the great patriarchs. And those great patriarchs obviously still live in God, even though they've, they've died. And so he's, he's saying that God is the source of all vitality, the source of all life. And, and that source is, a, is an unbeatable source. It, um, it, it has no limits to it. Um, uh, even after death, uh, God raises people up. And so Jesus has what was, in a sense, the orthodox kind of view, like the Pharisees shared, about bodily resurrection. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who, who brings that about through his own resurrection. He didn't, he wasn't, uh, Jesus, um, while he could do unusual things, like kind of seeming to appear through the walls and go through walls or things like that, but he, he almost always asked for food. It's interesting, in, in most of the resurrection accounts, food is involved. And um, even after Jesus raises a little girl, he says, I'll go and feed her, she'll be hungry. So there's a very strong material reality about the resurrection. And even though there's transformation, even though there's difference, we are still material, bodily people, and we are recognisable. 
And so that's, that's an enormous hope, that one day I can look forward to seeing my father and, and, and not seeing him sort of as, as he was in a very kind of weakened kind of, kind of state, but in the, in the fullness of his faculties, in uh, the height of his fitness and at the height of his life. He was a believer and he trusted in God. And so as I, I took his, his funeral... Um, sure, I'd, pl- I'd shed plenty of tears beforehand, and I, you know, I was close to tears at different times. But there was a sense of triumph, of, of grieving with hope, like it says in, in 2 Corinthians 7, that we can take grief seriously. Yes, there is a, a sting to death, but Jesus has, has ultimately taken away that sting by his resurrection. So that's what a robust Christian view is about. It's about bodily resurrection. And that makes a big difference to our lives now because Jesus says, you know, for those who live toward, towards God, then they will live forever and they will be resurrected. And he says they are the children of the resurrection. And I think that's a wonderful phrase. It hasn't, it hadn't quite struck me as strongly before until I was preaching on it, that, that we're children of the resurrection and there's no, no higher hope, um, not only for the next life, but also for this life that you can, that you can have. Um, but all the forces of death and darkness and sin and depression, etc., are ultimately defeated by Christ in his resurrection. We are taking calls. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. talking about a Christian view of dying. Gordon, let's take a call from David in Mackay in Queensland. Hello, David. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Uh, Yes, I uh, picked up uh, initially in the conversation there talking about euthanasia, and uh, it's uh, conversation is on a very good level. uh, uh, An excellent uh, talk that we're having this morning uh, because um, uh, I feel generally overall that the reason why euthanasia is even uh, brought to the fore is that the person and even the uh, surrounding people feel that that or that person is not valued that there's no value in them and uh, a person wanting it is often feels that they're not cared for that they're um, there's no one really wanting them and i think that's the sad part about it that uh, that anyone gets to that stage and i think that, that it would be easier uh, but, you know, I carried my mother through where she was uh, really, I, I felt I had to live a life for her. She, she couldn't sit up. She couldn't, uh, she couldn't see from well back. Uh, and really, all she left was a hearing, had left was a hearing and, um, and able to talk. But uh, that was the most beautiful time of my life. And I feel it was for her uh, where I felt that uh, I could be an instrument of God's grace and uh, just carry it through to her in the in the in the fullest way that uh, I possibly could. Uh, and uh, I, I think you know, at, at her passing, it was a time there. Uh, I'd said to her earlier, I said, "Mum, I'll never leave you." Uh, and I said, "I don't believe you'll ever leave me." And I feel that she hasn't, you know, because uh, mm. as, as Neil said, I feel that that rising up, that we if we just carry them through. And and I would say that it was the best time of my life. I felt the, the fullest I've been just totally caring for. And, in, and I think this is the problem, the sad part that we have these days, that we we don't, uh, you, you see it with a lot of elderly people, that um, 
that tend to be put in the homes and sort of virtually put on the shelf and put out of the way. David, uh, what I can with, hear in your story is uh, just a heart that is mm. filled with love. A response from Gordon Priest on what David is sharing. Oh, look, it's, it's hard to add much to what David said because I, I think that's just a wonderful testimony. And, um, you know, to say that's, you know, that's, yeah, the most wonderful time in your life is is fantastic because of that caring relationship. Um, but you're, you're right, the tragedy is, the great tragedy in our society is that a lot of people, you know, they die in very lonely circumstances. And I think that's what we've got to address, the whole caring dimension, how do we... How do we provide a kind of circle of community and caring around people? Um, it's interesting in the Netherlands and and Belgium in that it's it's voluntary euthanasia is much more um, for women. Now that's partly because women tend to live a bit longer than men, but I think it's actually the proportion is still greater because women tend to be the carers. But what happens when the when the women um, you know, outlive, and they, they don't have carers. So it's your your care for your mother, David, is, is a wonderful kind of countercultural testimony in some ways of, uh, of men learning to care uh, for their mothers or, or to care for the, the intimate women in their lives um, that means so much to them because often it's, it's the women who basically uh, do most of that. And I think some of the, some of the pressure in our society comes from, um, yeah, the women not really having proper care and being looked after when they've looked after everyone for the whole of their lives. We're talking about dying. We're talking about being a Christian, having an understanding of what dying is and what it means, and for now and for the future. Let me just reflect uh, quickly on a scripture at the death of Lazarus, you remember that, uh, you know, Lazarus come forth. Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. Well, Jesus had a conversation with Martha, his sister. And in John chapter 11, verse 23 onwards, Jesus said to Martha, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? A very, very powerful scripture. And as we're talking with Gordon Priest, director of Ethos, we're talking about dying. Uh, Gordon's shared that his own father has died just in this past few weeks. Uh, Gordon, there's a lot of hope and comfort that comes from the scriptures, and particularly when we start to read and take note of the things that Jesus said about dying. Yeah, well, the, the passage you just quoted is, is the one I, I tend to use most of, often in, in funerals, uh, particularly, um, let's say, younger funerals in, in some ways. With older funerals, I often uh, use um, Luke 2 with Simeon, where he holds the baby Jesus in his arms and, and says, um, Now uh, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now let your servant depart in peace, which is a wonderful uh, comforting kind of reading, for pe- particularly for people um, who are older. And, and I think it's interesting that for, for, for Simeon, he's ready to die. You know, I, I think we've forgotten the idea that there is actually a time to die. And Ecclesiastes says that there's a time to live, there's a, there's a time to die. And, and sometimes Christians seem to not realise the robustness of resurrection hope. And so they want doctors and others to sort of throw the kitchen sink 
at the the illness or the cancer or if, or people talk about you know fighting the cancer or battling the cancer or or whatever often in kind of super heroic sorts of terms uh, rather than actually um, sure if you've got the if, if, if you've got the um, you know the treatment available and you can still live um, in your relationships um, with your loved ones etc etc that that's fantastic um, and you know some modern miracle medical treatments people do call sort of miracles but sometimes we're kind of almost trusting in the medical miracles rather than trusting in God. And sometimes there is a time to die and to, um, because we have that great hope in the resurrection. And, you know, when someone's led a good long life um, and, uh, and they're ready to go, we don't have to sort of kind of desperately throw everything at it. We, we don't worship life. Um, I think some Christians actually think that we worship uh, this life, and that is what sacredness of life is, is about. But it, it primarily comes from God's sacredness, and in in the first place. And um, see, you know, we're we're meant to be willing to be martyred um, because we put truth before life. In some cases, we shouldn't we we shouldn't deny Christ. So there are actually some values that are even higher than just life in in itself. So I think sometimes people have a mistaken view of the sacredness of life um, in that way. I don't think that's actually the biblical view. Uh, we're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Let's hear from Gary in Tambo Upper in Victoria. Hello, Gary. Welcome along to 2020. Uh, how are you, guys? Good afternoon, if you're in Victoria anyway, in Gippsland. Yes. Um, Look, right. just enjoy okay. the conversation and um, so true um, and it's a great testimony to talk to people and say that you have no fear of death because the minute that you die you're going to be ushered into glory and be with Jesus and it's such a liberating thing to say well it's only going to get better now the best we've ever experienced here is nothing that's going to be compared to so I think um, that's a good thing to tell people that perhaps aren't believers and the thing mm. I've noticed as of being a believer for eight years of my life I'm now 56 but um, is when you've gone to, and still today, when you go to funerals of people that aren't believers and how sad and there's no sense of hope, and yet when you go to a brother or a sister that's died through our church or whoever, and there's this sense of celebration and thankfulness you know, to God for the time we've had with them and the fact that we're going to be with them again, and there's just a total, uh, total shift. And I guess some people would actually feel and sense that in those services and think, I want to, do, I want to be and I want to have what you have because there's this wonderful sense of hope and not this lack of all it's all over and what now Gary a great thought uh, let's hear from Gordon uh, Gordon Christian funerals uh, and uh, many of us have been to different funerals uh, people who are Christians people who are not Christians boy there's something special about a Christian funeral oh yeah absolutely um, and, and good to hear from Gary I'm, I'm actually going to be up in Tambo I think next next Easter but um, the I think I think we underestimate just what an incredible hope that we have and um i'm, I'm an anglican in the prayer book they actually have there's a phrase that i love which is where it talks about a sure and certain hope and that's what we have it's not just a kind of well i i hope so i hope i'm going to heaven um or i hope i'm going to be with god or but i'm you know i'm i'm not sure um it's not presumption because it's it's a gift from god and it's 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 because of jesus death and resurrection so i i think that hope is incredibly attractive and, and we should um, really let show. And, and a, a, a Christian funeral 
doesn't deny grief, like it says, to grieve with hope. So it's holding those two things in tension. There's a sense of loss. Um, there's a sense of the sting of death, but more so, there's a sense that you know Jesus has taken away the sting of death. He's triumphed over it. And like you said, you know, that uh, at that moment where, um, let's say, at that our, that last conscious moment, that uh, you know, the image of sleep is used in the Bible, and so it's saying, you know, in the light of the resurrection, it's it's just like sleep. So that the next conscious moment. Um, like the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, Jesus says to him, then we are in the, in the presence of Christ and we'll be joined at the great sort of resurrection of the body, which is not only our physical body, but it's also the body of believers. And so there's this, this great reunion, this great resurrection reunion that, that we look forward to um, with, our, with our loved ones, with our brothers and sisters, Etc. Around the throne of Christ, and and it's unimaginable in in that sense. Like like you were saying, you know, there's um, nothing that um, that can be compared with that. Thank you so much to Gary. Appreciate your call. Let's take some more, but you can be part of our conversation on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Sue in Rockhampton in Queensland. Hello, Sue. Welcome along. Hello. How are you? Very well, Sue. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I happen to have lost both my mum and my dad within a year of each other and then my sister uh, about two years later. All very strong Christians. And I know um, I had people say to me, oh, you got hit pretty hard. But I think I was very reassured by the fact that I know I'm going to see them again. I love what you said about that. But um, I also work in pathology and um, I've also seen... Uh, and this particularly with my mother, she had dementia and she just stopped eating. And my dad was given the option of giving her a peg into her stomach, you know, like the doctors have got to give you the options. Um, but they don't actually say you can just let them go. I think we, we avoid that topic a lot these days of letting people just die. Um, and dad decided against it. And I, I remember we went to the doctor afterwards and the doctor said, I'm so glad you made the decision not to have the peg put in because it would have been prolonging death rather than prolonging life. And um, my dad had a stroke and my brothers also made, it was a major stroke, uh, the decision that if we'd have tried to help him, he would have had to um, go away from the family. We wouldn't have been there for him as much as we would have liked. And um, that was a very hard decision as well, but um, I respect them for them. And, and it's such a, a, I just, I agree with before, we don't, um, we don't accept death as part of life. Uh, but it was I was there when Dad died, and it was a great privilege to be with him as well. Sue, wonderful thoughts. A response from Gordon. Yeah, thanks. That's um, yeah, that's a, that's a very enlightened, I'd say, biblically enlightened perspective, a very balanced kind of kind of perspective. And I, I think, um, yeah, there is a time to let go, and almost to give give people permission to to go. And with with Dad, we had. Um, we had a sort of meeting with him and we went through a kind of advanced care um, uh, process where we wrote down what his wishes were. And, and when he had started to um, get very low on that, um, it would have been fairly easy for the people in the nursing home to kind of, you know, throw the kitchen sink or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and try and do everything to keep him alive. But, you know, 
with him, we'd have the agreement that he would basically just have palliative care. And so he, he just had that palliative care. And, um, and it, it, it just sometimes takes a certain amount of patience, you know, to kind of wait and sit and pray. And, you know, I'd sit and listen to the music with him and I'd just kind of, you know, mime along or sing along, you know, with some of the, 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 the songs that were going. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was a difficult process in, in, in some ways. Um, but on the, on the other hand, um, he was in comfort. He was basically at peace. And, and eventually, in, in God's good time, he, he went. And then we could celebrate his life with a, with a real assurance because we knew he was a believer. He trusted in, 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 in Christ. Um, and there is a, there's a difference between killing and letting die. And my, I, my colleague, Dr. Denise Cooper-Clark, she's a medical um, doctor, but she has a doctorate um, on the issue of the difference between killing and letting die as perceived by palliative care doctors and nurses of all religions or none and overwhelmingly they could see that there is a, a definite difference between letting someone die in a sense of letting nature take its course or recognizing that it's god's time to die and trying to sort of um throw the kitchen sink at them you know just have them you know linked up to masses and masses of cords etc etc and um, which you might do in the case of a young person, and you and you know has a long life ahead of them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I was talking to someone just the, the other day, and um, well, it was actually in in church yesterday, and their their father had died, and they shared that courageously with the congregation, and um, the father died of pneumonia, and um, and we we talked about it as you know people often um, doctors often talked about pneumonia as kind of the the elderly person's friend. And um, and and because of his hope in the resurrection and uh, and the, the parents, then he was able to accept that. Thank you so much to Sue from Rockhampton. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Graham in Tasmania. Hi, Graham. Welcome along. Hello. You know, uh, in our dying, we're going to face that time that when we have faith in Christ and in the inspired word of God. We know that we will fall asleep in death. That seventh, on that trump, the seventh trump, that we will rise, be with Christ. But uh, this is not the end of it. We go before the throne of God, the, the wedding supper. Then we come back with Christ and rule on this earth for a thousand years. And uh, that, that will be the spirit beings or those Christ-like rule this earth for a thousand years and bring peace and harmony to the world and then we've got the great white throne judgment all those who were asleep we raised up and judged then and then we've got God the Father of course coming down to the new heaven and the new earth to dwell with man on the face of the earth Graham, great thoughts uh, response from Gordon Gordon, there's wonderful rich imagery in the scriptures uh, that talk about those things that happen beyond our death. Uh, your thoughts on what Graham's sharing? Right. Well, I, I don't particularly want to go into the difference between you know, the different views, like, you know, premillennialism, um, which is the kind of view that, that Graham was expressing, and there are plenty of people who, who hold to that. There's sort of pan, um, what, postmillennialism, that's the kind of gradual development of, of God's kingdom coming to rule over the earth. Um, and uh, amillennialism, which tends to see it sort of um, 
it, it tends to see, say, the thousand years as being um, a, a metaphor for Christ's reign, really from the time that Christ rose. And I'm probably more in the amillennial kind of kind of group, but I appreciate the, the kind of premillennial sort of emphasis on the earthiness of the hope, so that um, we look forward to a new heavens and new earth, and that's um, you get wonderful pictures in the Old Testament of that, like Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 65. Um, I, I remember taking the, the funeral for a, a little child who died. Um, I used to get calls at three in the morning. Um, I mentioned my dad died at four. Well, three or four is the time when, when our metabolism is sort of, and our, our, our bodily rhythms are kind of um, lower. And... Um, and I would, this, this child died, it was the second child that this couple had had and died, and I took the funeral and this tiny, tiny little coffin, and I was trying to work out where are some words that are adequate for this, and at a time when, you know, it feels like there's nothing adequate. And that passage from Isaiah 65 says, in the new heavens and the new earth, um, children will no longer die in, infants, in, in infancy. Uh, people will no longer... Uh, build things and not get to live in those houses. People will uh, plant vineyards and they will get to drink the wine. Like this is a really strong, robust, earthy hope of the new heavens and the new earth. And sometimes people think of think of heaven in in a way that's almost trying to be more spiritual than God in some ways, um, because it is a bodily resurrection. And there is this strong hope for new heavens and new earth. So when our, our prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, is finally fulfilled in that picture that, that Graham shared where um, there's a great wedding feast of, of the Lamb at the end of Revelation um, of, of God's people. And, um, and it comes down, the city of God comes down um, uh, and like like a bride prepared for a husband, and comes down from heaven down to earth. So there's this reuniting of heaven and earth, and that's how big our heavenly hope is. It's a new heavens and a new transformed earth, and that's what we look forward to in our resurrection bodies. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. We're talking about a Christian view of dying. Gordon Priest, Director of Ethos, the Centre for Christianity and Society, our guest. Gordon lost his father just recently, but talking about dying today. Uh, Gordon, from the Scriptures, we get so much encouragement uh, from uh, knowing that God is interested in us uh, from the day we are conceived through until the day that we are uh, no more, that we die. And then, of course, there's the life that we expect after death and the hope that we have in this resurrection. Uh, let's end on a on a note where uh, we try and draw some things together, but uh, your thoughts on on dealing with those those dying days. Well, my, my thoughts um, particularly focus around Psalm 139, and I, I wrote an article on this recently called God Knows in um, Zadok Perspectives, um, which is our magazine, and the whole issue is on the end of life. And I talked about my, my grandson who's just turned one and uh, the sense of praying for him even while he was in the womb, um, right through to praying for my, my father in his dying days, um, you know, facing the tomb. 
and that all of that from womb to tomb is covered by God's knowledge of us that God knows you know people use you know you know um, they they ask oh you know you're going to be able to do this or whatever oh God knows you know kind of you know in a throwaway sense but I want to say there's something profound in that that even when we don't know even when we're unconscious that God knows and those who want to dismiss people when they're no longer rational um, or apparently aren't rational or choosing beings, etc., etc., or have lost their autonomy, they don't recognise that there's still a relationship there in terms of God knowing us, not in a theoretical sense, but in terms of God's loving us. That we have, and when people want to say, well, you know, there's no, you know, these people have got no dignity. Well, the theologians talk about alien dignity. That's a kind of dignity that's outside ourselves. That's a dignity that's in Christ and that God knows us in Christ. And that lasts, and that love is stronger than death. And and in the end, there is no greater hope than that. Um, some people write off people when they're not, you know, no longer rational on that, um, or they say they're no longer persons. But um, Stanley Halvas, one of my favorite ethicists, has a wonderful um, article called, uh, he may not be much of a person, but he's still my Uncle Charlie. Well, in the very last days for, for Dad, um, in terms of rationality, etc., etc., or certain functions, you might not, in terms of those kind of measures, say he was much of a person. But he was still my dad, and he was known by God. And, uh, and that was an enormous comfort to me and to my family. Well, great thoughts that you've been able to share and uh, really appreciate today, Gordon, uh, you're sharing your own heart, uh, having gone through these raw emotions of your own grief in your own father's dying just a few weeks ago. And uh, and a great time to be able to uh, put thoughts uh, not only on paper, as I know you've been writing, but also to be able to express those today for our listeners. And uh, I know that there'll be many listeners who'll be very appreciative of your uh, openness, uh, just your ability to articulate these things, and and certainly talking about this hope that we have in the resurrection, uh, that Jesus was resurrected, that we one day will be resurrected, and how all that fits together. Sometimes there's confusion around those things, but we have this hope uh, that uh, dying is not the end, uh, that we will live and that we will be in the presence of Almighty God. Uh, just so good getting your insights today. I'll point people to the to the uh, website called Ethos, ethos.org.au, and that's where you'll be able to find all sorts of wonderfully written and scholarly articles about a whole lot of ethical issues. Gordon Priest is Director of Ethos, the Centre for Christianity and Society. And Gordon, uh, really appreciate you taking time to share your heart with us today. Thanks for being with us on 2020. Pleasure. Thanks, Neil. And thanks to the, the listeners, the people who, who um, yeah, spoke so meaningfully. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.